0: CDC is the only bank dedicated exclusively to entrepreneurs. That's why we're proud to support women entrepreneurs with the Thrive Podcast, providing startup women with the support and resources they need to start and grow their business.
1: award-winning entrepreneur, one of Canada's most powerful women, and Startup Canada's ambassador for women entrepreneurs. This is your host, Janice McDonald, for the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, a show inspiring connecting and educating women entrepreneurs across Canada. On this show, we connect you with leading innovators, change makers, and organizations helping women to own it in entrepreneurship. The Thrive Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community and voice for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada, the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community and subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. I'm your host, Janice McDonald, president of the Beacon Agency and Startup Canada's ambassador for women entrepreneurs. We are thrilled to have on the show today Megan Cornell founder and CEO of Momentum Law. Megan launched Momentum Law in 2012 as a new and innovative business law firm that bridges technology and law to provide timely, more accurate and more affordable business law services. Throughout her career, Megan has advised, advised businesses of all sizes and at all stages. She has represented large publicly traded companies, small local businesses and foreign owned companies with Canadian subsidiaries and has worked with clients across numerous sectors. Megan believes that all businesses require the same things from their lawyers, clear and correct solutions to business issues delivered in a timely and cost-effective manner. Welcome, Megan. We're going to have lots to talk about.
0: Great. Thanks for having me, Janice, and, and StartUp. I'm excited to uh, to chat about these business issues for startups.
1: Absolutely. So what's the key message you hope our listeners will take away from from our conversation today.
0: I hope that listeners will be able to walk away from our chat today with a plan for how and when they can self help with their legal problems and how they can best leverage a legal team to help them grow their business.
1: Perfect. So Clearly, uh, you've been doing this a while and you've worked with all kinds of shapes and sizes, which I think will be really exciting for us to be able to to hear your expertise in these different um, avenues. So why don't we start with fundamentals of business law that all entrepreneurs okay. should know.
0: So it's not very sexy, but the fundamental building but block- But really important. <laughs> but right? really important. Really important, okay. The fundamental building block of all business growth Is agreements of one type or another. And so understanding the basics which should be included in any given agreement will help enable the business to grow appropriately. So whether it's an agreement between founders, between staff, with service providers, or eventually customers, of course, we'll Mm -hmm. hope, Uh um, certain fundamental fundamental issues need to be addressed. And most people know that a contract of any kind should include the basic business terms, which are key to the reason for the contract. (laughs) For example, providing X service for Y compensation. That's right. well, pretty basic. But when you go back to very basic storytelling, you get to the fundamentals of what needs to be in every contract. And that okay. is the who, what, when, where, and even the why can can play into what should be in your contract. Okay. So if you address all of those in your contract, you're off to a really good start. Just make yourself a little checklist and keep it next to your bed. And, you know, when you're reading your contracts at night, go through that checklist. Mm -hmm. But what often gets left out of the contract is where the problems can arise.
1: Tell us more.
0: So the missing pieces, of course, are going to depend upon the type of contract and the business which is being conducted. Mm -hmm. But there are three key pieces which often get ignored in contracts. And I would be happy to talk about just one because it's really is the one that often is left out and is most important, but I'll touch on two others as well. So, number one is ending the agreement. And just like any good relationship, no one wants to spend a lot of time uh, thinking about how it's going to end when you're Mm -hmm. only at the beginning of the relationship. Nonetheless, the orderly termination, your ability to cancel the contract is one of the most important parts of the agreement to get right. And to confirm that everyone agrees on, which is the other key piece.
1: So and before, before you move on to the others, <laughs> let's just get some clarity around. So you're saying you have to get it right. And are you going to give us a sense of what right is? Exactly. Yeah. So, some of
0: the key pieces to getting it right are how much notice do you have to give if you're mm-hmm. going to end the contract? So, obviously, if it's a one-off, I'm selling you a, you know, a widget and you're paying a dollar for it, end of relationship, no problem. You don't need to right. sweat the termination. But if you're agreeing to supply a thousand widgets a month for the next 10 years – And all of a sudden you want to cancel that contract sometime within that 10 years. What are the consequences? What are the rules that are going to go around canceling that contract? Uh So do you have to give notice? Is it a month? Is it six months? Is it you can't give notice? You're on the hook for 10 years. Um, Is there anything that could happen which would force an immediate termination to the agreement? And that's usually going to be something like a violation of a fundamental term to the contract, like stopping paying for it. You can't force someone to keep delivering you widgets if you stop paying for them. Right. Um, and then, of course, if there's any penalties to early termination. So those are some of the key things around terminating the agreement. And again, it's tough kind of to, to play those out at the beginning. And depending on the relationship in an employment agreement, for example, or a, an agreement amongst founders, It's often not the kind of thing that you want to talk about when you're you're trying to get everybody on board to grow the business. But it's still really key and it can help protect the business ultimately from a whole lot of exposure and and maybe even having to shut down because a relationship goes awry and you haven't dealt with how to get out of that relationship in an orderly fashion. So
1: so to to really kind of make this clear for listeners, it's really critical that even though you may be sort of scared or afraid or worried about talking about the end while you're just at the beginning, it is the right time to do so.
0: Absolutely. Because that's when you can negotiate the terms that make sense um, for that relationship, and you know, there's often unequal bargaining power in entering into a contract, um, but that's going to be there no matter what. And so, you might as well try and set out those terms um, in in as much specificity as you can right at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and then that that kind of allows the relation everybody to assess. Well, I, I would like to end this relationship, and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So it gives everybody a a frame of reference for the relationship going forward.
1: And then you're not scrambling later because you have a document that's laid out that says, here's how we're going to work together and here's how this will end in whatever capacity that is. Exactly. Okay, great.
0: So that's my number one. If you're Mm -hmm. not going to take anything else away, Take away that you always need a termination clause in a contract. <laughs> uh, my next two go together a little bit. Um, and the first one is confidentiality. So in certain search situations, there's going to be um, rules around confidentiality automatically implied between um, the people that are involved in the business relationship. But most of the time there isn't. So, if you're entering into a business arrangement with somebody and they are going to have access to sensitive information about your business, about your client lists, about how you price, anything that you don't let the the general public know, you need to make sure that there's confidentiality built into your contract. Okay. So, again, not, you know not the, the super sexy stuff in building your business, but you want to make sure that your proprietary business ideas, for example, um, don't kind of leak out through a relationship that you you enter into with somebody and uh, you you lose some of the you, your market niche, for example, um, because someone else has passed along some of your trade secrets.
1: And so an, an example like that, um, let's say with a staff, member, salesperson, etc. So that would be a document that they sign that binds them to that level of confidentiality. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And even, um, you know, your team members are are key to have those sorts of clauses. Um, But even entering into a supply contract with somebody where they might need to access some of your information to supply their service or their good, it just, it never hurts to include it. Um, So, but it's often easy to forget. Right.
1: Like that's a big takeaway that you can put that in a lot of different parts of your uh, contracts, right? Not just in terms of an HR perspective, but as you've indicated, suppliers, et cetera. Exactly.
0: And and rarely is someone going to cause some sort of issue over it being there. It's it's an easy thing to include. It's not super contra- controversial, but it can mm-hmm. really protect your business yeah, going forward. Okay. And then the piece that kind of fits in with that is if you have any, any of that, Confidential information in your business, you might also be worried about people that you engage with. Again, it could be suppliers, it could be team members. Um, You might want to consider having a non solicitation clause. Um, So, if you hire someone to do some work for you, make sure that they can't take away either clients that they engage with on your behalf or even your own other team members um, that they start working with. So, We call it non-solicitation. Often it gets thrown around as non-competition clauses. Non-competition clauses are very tough to enforce and we rarely suggest that they should be included. But non-solicitation protects a genuine business interest. So they're pretty enforceable. And if it's really, really important to you, then you might even want to put in parameters around what it means if that clause is violated.
1: Can you so, give us an example?
0: Sure. So a good example would be if someone's working with you, let's say um, as a as a subcontractor um, doing web development for some of your clients. You're you're mm-hmm. not in a position to hire everyone as employees yet, so you hire some some subcontractors some to do certain work for you. Mm-hmm. Well, they get sort of a cozy relationship with some of your clients that you've worked really hard to build, mm-hmm. and they in turn decide to offer their services to clients directly and take them away from you. In that kind of situation, you can pretty clearly track your loss of business to that behavior. So you could set up in the contract, if you take away any clients, um, you are going to owe us back one year's worth of billings for that client or or something that makes sense for your business in terms of how you quantify the value of a client. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that's pretty enforceable because it's tied back to something specific. So it's not a penalty. The law doesn't really like penalties, generally speaking. But you can put in some pretty specific rules about, you know, if you take this client, you know, that you've worked really hard to develop that client probably. You've sunk a lot of cost that you don't necessarily recover Mm -hmm. into building that relationship, pitching the client, um, you know, building your expertise to be able to deliver the service to that client. So you've got a genuine interest that you could protect by saying, if you take that client away um, after we let, you know, we gave you work to do for that client, then you're going to have to pay us something. And this is how much you're going to have to pay us.
1: And that typically is enforced Yes. Okay. So, three pretty important areas, three very straightforward things to include. And uh, these could save founders quite a bit of <laughs> headache and heartache, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you can get these fundamentals of contracts right, you know, I prefaced it with saying it's not the most exciting stuff to talk about, but really it's the fundamental of, of your business and what you're going to grow. Um, are these business agreements, then you'll be able to just focus on growing the business and not worry about the agreements. And that gives you the
1: confidence, right? Yeah, To know you've set it up right.
0: Exactly. And this is where I'm going to be candid and say, you know, to be honest, some of what you can find on Google Mm -hmm. might work okay in your situation. Uh, there's some good stuff on Google. And depending upon what business you're in, there's even law firms now are putting up actual contracts on on their websites uh, for you to use without, you know, saying, hey, these apply to your business. But there's a lot of good stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be that it works, especially if you have some experience in your field already and you're not completely new to your to that sort of business Mm -hmm. but you want to make sure that it applies to your exact business situation and that it also it works in the location you're in so you're not trying to apply a california contract in ontario um so i I think Google's a great resource, but of course, uh, you know, I'm in the business where I'm more likely to say, you know, when in doubt, discuss it with your legal team. Right. And and we'll discuss a bit more that my, my preference and my best business advice, you know, not even, you know, if you're, you have no chance of being my client, is get a legal team involved early. So we'll get to that uh We'll get to that point a bit later on, I think.
1: Sure. So when you think about founders and you work with so many of them and you've had you know such incredibly diverse um, experiences, you see the same mistakes happening over and over again. So, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes that founders make when it comes to setting up that legal framework? So you, you've referenced one, which is, sure, they might have gone to Dr. Google and found, <laughs> and found what they think is a perfect solution if they lived in the USA, but they happen to live in Canada. But, you know, what are some of the other things? So that is definitely
0: number one mistake, is mm-hmm. not getting um, advice at the beginning of your business. Right. Um if you can get that those early relationships set up so that mm-hmm. you have someone to turn to, it doesn't mean you're employing them in-house full-time from day one, but if you can set up two key relationships legal and financial whether that's a virtual CFO or whether it's an, a you know a good accountant that you have a great working relationship with mm-hmm. the growth of your business is going to be a lot more smooth even if you've started multiple companies the framework which worked for your last company might not be an ideal fit for this new company mhm Each founder team is different and brings different skills and strengths to the table. Um, So, adopting a good framework around your founder team is critical to being able to deal with the changes to that team, which are going to happen, in a way which allows the business to continue to grow. So, Again, if you've got that legal advice, that legal relationship, um, and my preference is also for you to have a good kind of financial um, advisor as well from the start then right from the beginning, your founder team has some people to bounce things off of. And your founder team may be just you at the beginning, and that's okay too. We, mm-hmm. we, lots of people start businesses on their own. Okay. Um, but you're going to spend time growing the idea and the team. If you're going to spend time growing an idea and a team before you incorporate, then you want to have a founder agreement. And that's one of the big mistakes that we see startups often. Um, Often do. There's nothing wrong with waiting to incorporate, but if you're going to do that, Mm -hmm. put a short, it can be two or three pages, um, agreement in place for how that idea is going to be growing what resources people are going to bring to the table. And really, really importantly, mm-hmm. what can be done with the idea if the team falls apart? Okay. Obviously, if the team doesn't fall apart, no problem. Um, right. But often we'll see an idea die because, you know, three, three founders came together, started mm-hmm. throwing around an idea, uh, realized they They didn't have a good working relationship. And then there was nowhere, there couldn't be an agreement on who was going to own the idea and be able to take it and grow it elsewhere. So, put an agreement around um, your founder structure. If you incorporate right away, then that initial agreement is going to be something we call a shareholder agreement, which serves the same function to say, this is how people um, can come into the relationship. These, This is how people can leave the relationship. And this is how we'll kind of make decisions in our relationship.
1: So, are there other mistakes that founders make? Another big one that I wanted to highlight
0: um, was raising money Mm -hmm. before there really is a framework in place for doing that properly. And that's not going to be world ending if it's your mom or your dad, Um, but you're, you're in if, Especially if you're selling shares in your company, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's incredibly common to take money in and say, oh, you know, I'll give you X percentage of my company. Um, and then you haven't papered it. Um, you haven't issued shares to that person. You don't have a shareholder agreement to make sure that you can deal with those shares. Mm-hmm. And you might be in violation of securities law from the moment you do that. When you're down the road a ways and you've kind of forgotten that you took money from these early supporters, early champions of yours, mm-hmm. and you're looking at more serious investors, that can be a barrier to um, getting that more serious investment money. Because they, they'll take a look at it and say, what? you know, what was happening here? Who owns these shares? And um, why do they own so many or so few? And is there a risk that, you know, that someone else was involved, Uh, the phantom shareholder, the phantom founder, who Mm -hmm. has um, disappeared and might own shares? Um, So that's a really, really common mistake. And I blame um, Netflix, frankly, for this (laughs) problem recently, (laughs) because there's lots of great you know, lots of great entertainment out there, and I watch a lot of it, um, you know, that show people readily giving away parts of their company, they're raising money, um, and these great startup stories. Um, but when you're doing that without this, this sort of fundamental framework in, in place at the beginning, it can really hold you back when you need to grow and, and get more serious investment in the future.
1: And, you know, when you get the paperwork right, everyone knows where they stand. And later it can be, oh, that's not what I promised, or I don't remember it that way. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So these are sort of the two biggest that you see, and you Mm -hmm. also see they're easy to avoid. Yeah. So what are the simple key strategies our listeners can use to avoid making the same mistakes?
0: This isn't going to be a surprise, but uh-huh. it's to get your legal team involved early. <laughs> Am I becoming repetitive?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but it so- needs to be said because we know what happens so often, but I think part of it is like, can you address maybe along those lines, this, um, you know, maybe there's some intimidation, perhaps particularly for younger entrepreneurs who kind of think, oh, that sounds serious and that's going to be expensive. And, you know, we have all these um, assumptions around what this notion of a legal team is, and they may think I'm just a solopreneur and that all sounds like very daunting. So, you know, can you address some of that? Yeah, so
0: the great thing about where we're at, um, even from five years ago, honestly, let alone going back 10 years ago, is that um, many, many really good experienced business law teams have, have recognized that they want to work with startups and that they have a lot of expertise to share, and they've put together special packages to assist startups Um, and they engage with them so that they not only ensure the paperwork is done correctly, which is really, really key, but also you can tap into their experience and expertise gained from working with other startups. So don't assume, um, you know, that you have to go to the smallest, dingiest law office possible to get some some good support. In fact, that could end up being the worst place to go. Um, and, And maybe you don't have to go to the biggest um, fanciest firm downtown, but even some of the the fanciest firms now are so uh, recognize so much the value of startups that they've put together these these packages tailored to startups and it's completely okay to go around and interview a few a few teams if they've hopefully they've got some good um information available you know on their websites to to lead you to who you might even want to to meet with um, or you go through um some some legal referrals that you might have access to at a some sort of founder um, institute or incubator and from there you you know you get some leads on to you ask around the community who's who's a good team to work with as a startup um, and then You can get that early advice that's really going to lead um, to helping you frame your business well so that you don't even have to think about it. That's the ideal is that your legal team does the thinking about that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and then provides you with their expertise and advice um, in whatever methodology they have for delivering that.
1: So that's really important for our listeners to understand choosing a lawyer that you're going to work with, not only to start, but to operate and grow and scale and all of that. Um, You want somebody that you feel comfortable with, that you have a rapport with, and that, as you've mentioned, it's okay to interview several different ones. You're supposed to, you know, you need to see them as a strategic partner, would you say? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I have three key factors that um, I think a startup should look for in a legal team. Okay. And then I have another piece of, of advice that I'll throw in at the end. Okay. Um, But these three factors really are framed around the three biggest complaints against lawyers. And okay. we know what they are. Our governing body collects complaints about us and tells us regularly what clients are complaining about. Yeah. So these three things are what you should look for because they genuinely are what, what some uh, legal teams fail to deliver. So the first is communication. Yeah. So looking for a team which communicates well with you and that you know it's important that that's not just about how they like to communicate but how you like to receive communications
1: so what you need
0: yeah. So was mm-hmm. it, you know, was it easy to get an initial consultation set up? Mm-hmm. Are they open to alternative meeting options? If you're, you know, in a, a remote community that doesn't have easy access to business law expertise, are they willing mm-hmm. to have web meetings? Or do you live around the corner from them, but you frankly prefer to meet with them on Skype? You know, like, mm-hmm. are, are they approachable um, in terms of alternate ways to get in contact with them? Do they respond to you within, you know, I, I think 24 hours is a pretty reasonable time expectation for a client to have. If they take weeks to even reply to an email from you, you're probably going to have ongoing communication problems with them. Right. Um, and then that same communication piece, are they approachable and do they talk in a way that you can understand. And luckily for the entire world, lawyers are starting to recognize that legalese is not really um – necessary to communicating business advice. And we're moving away from it, thankfully, for everyone. Um, So, that's number one. Do they communicate well with you? Number two, and really, really importantly, is are they transparent about their fees? There's lots of different options starting to come available in terms of fees. And I think everyone, you know, is pretty familiar with uh, the legal model where you phone your lawyer and they record a half hour call because you left them a, a message. Luckily, we're changing away from that model in a lot of cases and particularly for startups, I think.
1: And so what's the new model for that?
0: There's a lot of flat rates available, especially for packages, for startups. You know, you get a certain set of documents. Um, But what's key is that they're willing to discuss their fees with you and be transparent about what they are. They may still believe in billing for their time and that's the way they work, but they're gonna be very transparent with you about it and let you know on a weekly basis what this, you know, what it means or monthly, whatever. So long as they're willing to be clear about what their fees are going to be, then you can, um, you know, have a a relationship of trust with them around those fees. Be very cautious, I think, of legal teams that are willing to put off your bill indefinitely until you reach a certain financing round. It's not to say that that model is terrible. It's obviously attractive for a business that's really budgeting uh, tight to the line at the beginning. But... What will often happen and what you want to ask a lot of questions about is how responsive are they going to be when you're in the phase where they're not billing you? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if it's potentially a year or two before they get to give you a bill, are you going to have a lot of trouble getting a hold of them to do things for you during that time period? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, what's that bill going to look like when it comes If it's going to be a monster bill, you might be better off um, having a relationship where, you know, every month my bill is going to be X. I can budget for it and that gets me, you know, this level of service. So there's different options out there. It's just about asking a lot of questions about what's, um, what's the process with that particular law firm. Really so helpful. that's fees. Be transparent. Mm-hmm. Make sure you've got someone who's transparent with their fees. And then the last point is look for a team which is going to be efficient with your work. And delay, because delays in getting agreements drafted or reviewed can really have serious business impact for you. So if it's a, a month to get something done with your lawyer, I mean, it, it might be because there's a lot of negotiation involved, but if it's, no, I can't even look at that for a month, then maybe the lawyer you're working with is too busy to, you know, be able to be reliable. Um, rarely is a business deal going to sit on a back burner for a month because your lawyer needs to look at it. So you don't want to lose business. So those three factors, good communication, transparent fees, and efficient work are reflective of those most common complaints for legal support. Um, and if you can find a team that gives you some confidence on all three of those points, then you're going to have a great foundation for a relationship with them.
1: That's then I, laid I, I prom- out. Yeah, That's laid out really simply. For people to understand, like it's okay to ask for fees. You're paying for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It
0: shouldn't be something that uh, is a giant mystery. In fact, that's the worst case scenario. And and worse, when you never know what it's going to be, you're not going to phone them or you're not going to contact them, right. and then you're going to make mistakes because you're worried about you know what's the bill going to be when it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to make one final point and Mm -hmm. it goes back to, again, my broken record point, which is don't wait too long to contact your lawyer. Um, and this isn't just, you know, this can be even in your ongoing relationship with your lawyer. Um, is that, I mean, we all get busy and we we don't think until the last minute, oh, we need to get that reviewed. But mm-hmm. often it is this fear of billings that mean you don't reach out to your lawyer. And that can have pretty serious consequences if you wait until the work is really in emergency status mode. Um, your legal team's likely to be tied up with other clients' work. So if you say, I need this, you know, in six hours, it's probably not going to be able to happen Um, or to get the work done on your timeline they're going to have to allocate their resources to work around the clock and you're going to pay more for it so in both cases you might not get the best quality work and you're probably going to pay more for it so you know you don't have to think everything a month ahead but try your best to get your work to your lawyer as soon as you know it's needed to be done and then Make sure you have really clear timelines with them for when, it, when you need it back so that um, they can meet that expectation and you, you allow them, just like your business needs, to, to sort things into um, your schedule to get them done. So lawyers are the same way. It's hard to drop everything to attend to something. We can do it, but there's consequences when, when that has to happen.
1: So people, 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 we know, you know, this idea of hire slow, fire fast. Have you navigated the hiring and firing process as a small business owner yourself? And if so, you know, what do other entrepreneurs need to know regarding the legality of firing Employees at a startup. What can you tell us?
0: So, I actually have a slightly different take on that rule, okay. and that is hire fast and fire fast.
1: Mm. So, beyond
0: more. the obvious required skill set for a job, mm-hmm. you know, meeting the, the job requirements, mm-hmm. the best way to assess a potential hire, I believe, mm-hmm. um, is to have them in your work environment. Okay. So, provided you're not inducing them away from another lucrative position, which is a whole other issue, and be careful about that. And why? It's, why? Well, Tell because if, why. You've adu- if you've induced them away from work and then you fire them a month later, Mm-hmm. you can, there can be legal ramifications to that. Okay, right. But provided that's not the case, it's pretty low risk for a startup to take a chance on a potential hire who seems like a good fit. Okay. So from my perspective as a business owner, I follow the rule of hire for attitude, not aptitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, with our business processes that we've set up, We can train just about anyone to do any job in our organization. But what's more important for us is that they have the right personal fit for us in terms of approach to client care, to growing our organization and team building. So we're quick to hire. And Mm -hmm. when it's clearly not going to work out, then we'll break the relationship um, when it's necessary. But, you know, we like to think we're we're good assessment of character, so... <laughs> Yeah, but I do want to say... sometimes it doesn't
1: work, exactly. right? Exactly. For a variety of reasons, it's not what they thought it was going to be or, you know, whatever. So then, I mean, ideally, if we've been following Megan's, you know, code of conduct here, we already <laughs> yeah. have our paperwork in, exactly. in place and we've done all those things. But if we haven't, or, mm-hmm. you know, like talk to because sometimes I think the other re- reason why people you know fire slow is because they don't want to deal with the problem and it's mm-hmm. it's becoming a bigger problem so yeah so this, the quickest something? way to make yeah.
0: it a bigger problem is to mm-hmm. ignore it
1: longer right. so pretty much every problem exactly right? <laughs> exactly
0: so you are absolutely right on the legal side the number one most important thing for a startup is is Mm -hmm. to have written employment agreements with every worker. And and sorry, I should say, or contractor agreements if they're not an employee and they're just providing um, some limited services to you. Either way, a written contract. The reason for that is... All across Canada, and I'm going to accept Quebec from my comments because Quebec has a different rule of law mm-hmm. of laws. Um, but all across Canada, there's base employment rules in provincial legislation. So if you've worked as a teenager um, or in certain industries, You'll know that, you know, there's minimum wage requirements, there's hours per week you can work that sometimes get ignored. You know, there's there's these certain provincial rules that that you follow. And beyond that, we fall into a world that lawyers call common law employment, if you don't have a written contract that says this is what's going to govern our relationship, this is what you're going to do, this is how much you're going to get paid, the, those are the confidentiality requirements, this is your you know, vacation and sick days, etc., um, and really importantly, this is the amount of notice I need to give you if I want to end the, the employment relationship, you fall into this world called common law, and it's not a friendly place to be for employers, I can tell you. Because it is based on decades of judge-made law. And the cases that go before a judge are pretty much the most egregious ones, usually. But it's all we have to go on as lawyers. So, If we're advising you, if you want to fire somebody, you don't have a written employment contract, and we have to look at, well, what would the law say would apply to you in this case? That's what we have to turn to. We have nothing else to look at. To some degree, your actual relationship with the person comes into play. If you've always given them three weeks vacation, that becomes the vacation they're entitled to over time. Okay. so, there, there's an element of that, but you as an employer, and, and I think also the employee, you always benefit from having a written contract that says, this is exactly what we've agreed to. And then when it comes time to end the relationship, again, it's like every other contract, you have an orderly way to know what your obligations are when you want to end that relationship.
1: I think that's really helpful for for startups to understand that.
0: And I'm going to go further and say I I embrace Dr. Google as we say from time <laughs> to time, mm-hmm. but your employment agreements with your staff is not the place to do that. It is the one place where you can go really seriously wrong with something you pull off of Google, whether it's because it's from California. um, You know, A a very common mistake that we'll have is one of our our new clients will show us their employment contracts. And that usually happens because they're about to try and fire someone and they need to know what applies. And it references employment at will. Well, this is a concept that just doesn't exist in Canada. The minute you have that language in an employment contract in Canada, your whole contract is worthless. It just voids it. So it is not something to kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best. It's not even something to use the contract that you were given as an employee 10 years ago somewhere because the law changes. Like we had a new case last month that changed what we put into our employment contracts. So it is not the place um, to decide you're going to self-help.
1: So up to date and and talking to your legal team is what really is going to be that protective factor.
0: Yeah. So that's your number one most important team document to have in place. The second most important is a set of employment policies. And this is actually a place that it's probably pretty okay to self-help and to see what's out there on Google if you don't want to go to your legal team. Um, You don't need to start out with an eight inch thick binder either. You you Mm -hmm. can start out with one or two policies and add to them depending upon your business and um, what sort of parameters in a lot of provinces in Canada right now, you need to have a violence and harassment in the workplace policy. And I think media over the last six months has told us how important that is. Mm -hmm. Um, You may need a social media policy um, to make sure that your, Employees have some parameters around what they can post on social media, mm-hmm. and you probably need some sort of technology policy so that, um, depending again on your business, that employees have some parameters around um, their technology use. So. Start out with some core ones. By all means, go to Google, see what's out there, um, see what's available, and there's a lot of good resources that sort of discuss employment policies, um, including, you know, your provincial employment websites might have some good information too.
1: That's very helpful. And you've always kept a close eye on technology and its connections to law. And so beyond Dr. Google, how can our listeners leverage tech to ensure they follow laws and make legal decisions?
0: I wish we could do a whole session on this. It's one of Uh-oh. my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> okay, I will try and keep it short, though. All right. Um It really is a great, great question. And it is amazing what technology has done to make law more accessible and more efficient in in really even the last five years, the change is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So, my question, my answer might sound a little self-serving in fairness, mm-hmm. um, but it, it really is quite genuine and it is the best advice I can give. And that is that the best way for a startup to take advantage of advances in legal technology is to find a legal team that's leveraging it. Mm-hmm. So used effectively in really any kind of area, but certainly in business law, technology can allow a legal team to communicate more effectively definitely um, provide more efficient services and offer a range of service offerings and pricings. So to illustrate this point, I want to recount one of my favorite uh, studies that I was reviewing in this area recently. This was a study out of the UK, and it pitted artificial intelligence against a collection of 50 top lawyers in their field. And the idea was to see who could better predict the outcome of a set of cases before the courts. Okay. So, the AI accurately predicted something in the range of 80 of the cases outcome, and the human experts predicted only about 40% of the cases. So, this is interesting stuff if you're a a legal, a technology law nerd like myself. It's interesting. (laughs) Um, It's also not super surprising to anyone working in the field of legal applications for AI, or frankly, AI generally. I would agree. but it was one of the uh, conclusions of the study that really made this particular study stand out and resonate with me. Um, and and this was the answer to the question of whether AI would someday replace lawyers altogether. Maybe mm-hmm. some people feel that would be a really good thing. <laughs> um, but the study authors concluded that AI was likely to largely replace the knowledge aspects of the law. And that's what lawyers have been doing a good job of convincing people they need to buy from us for a really long time is knowledge about the law because who the heck can understand it but us but what ai will not be able to replace is the wisdom aspects of what we deliver and so meaning, if, meaning what our advice okay so in the business law context in the business support context we go back to the reason to have a lawyer in in your life or a legal team in your life as a business is that, yes, we can get you the knowledge answers. We can get you the documents. We can put those pieces together. But what we're really good at delivering, if you get the right fit with the right team, is the wisdom, the piece that says you're here and you're trying to go here. And this is some of the advice we can give you about how to get there successfully. We can troubleshoot, we can, you know, see issues on the horizon that are coming down. And that's the kind of business advice piece that you really wanna look for. Because frankly, all the other stuff we can get really good at delivering to you in a really streamlined way with technology. And you should look for a team that can do that because then they can spend their time giving you that advice and that wisdom that is really what makes a good fit with a legal team.
1: Well, we said that Megan is passionate about clear and correct solutions to business issues delivered in a timely and cost-effective manner, and you have outlined that spectacularly for us today. I know there's so much more we want to talk about, so we'll have to continue the conversation at another time. So thank you, of course, to Megan Cornell, founder and CEO of Momentum Law for this fascinating discussion today.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's a great chance to, uh, to chat about some of the not super exciting aspects of uh, growing a startup, but obviously um, something that we're pretty passionate about, making sure you get right as a startup. Thank
1: you again, Megan. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, a show inspiring, connecting and educating women entrepreneurs across Canada. Visit StartupCan.ca forward slash women to find resources designed to support thriving women-owned businesses across Canada and visit StartupCan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. And to learn about the latest startup community news and events like our popular Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Until next time, I'm Janice McDonald, leaving you now with a sneak peek of our next episode. This is Mark Hashie, Managing Director of Grow Your Biz, and you're listening to The Thrive Podcast with Janice McDonald. This is a phenomenal story and it goes back to where we started when you shared the need to have that that deep understanding of who it is that is your customer and who your customer that you want it to be that you really have to intimately understand that. And here you are demonstrating that and the power of that knowledge to be able to to simply grow your business. Right. But also, I I just love this innovative approach to reaching that customer. So you even got great feedback, I'm sure, when they got to tour and see it. and, And what a fun event for those guys to come out to as well. Yes. And for our salespeople, just to hear
0: their feedback, it was really wonderful. So, you know, successful business
1: owners really require certain characteristics, They need enthusiasm, and sometimes that's not easy.